Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. What is up, guys? It's your boy, AC, your resident Knicks fan, and with me, I have as a special guest today, a former Knicks fan who betrayed the cause and joined the Boston Celtics bandwagon. It's my old friend, Vivek. What's up, bro? I have to say that is an accurate description, uh, but I did... <laughs> But I did live a block away from TD Garden for the last seven years of my life. So I think I put it in my time to become a true Celtics, true blood. And, and let's be real here. I'm, I'm a, a true blood Knicks fan. I will not fault any man for abandoning this fan base and the shit that we've been through for the last two decades. As I've always told you, the second Jim Dolan sells the team, I'm back on board. But I just cannot give that man any more of my money, time, or attention. He's gotten enough, and he doesn't need any more money either. So, no more Knicks talk. On to the Celtics. Yeah, no more Knicks talk, because there's another New York team that's facing the Boston Celtics this year in the playoffs. That's the Brooklyn Nets. And we're coming off, Vivek, one of, I want to say one of the best game ones of a round one that I can remember, and maybe this is some recency bias. I know... Western Conference playoffs has had some crazy, you know, Spurs Mavs matchups over the years in round one. But just as the storylines are so juicy here, you have Kyrie Irving, the prodigal son returning, <laughs> yeah, giving all matters of the finger behind the back after a near game winner to the Boston crowd that showers him with his love. You have a Brooklyn team that just beat. Boston, as recently as last year, knocked them out of the playoffs. But now they're the seventh seed, and, and, and Boston's the team on the run. You have the emergence of Jason Tatum, and, and all of that is encapsulated in what ended up being an epic game one. So let's start there, Vivek. What was your instant reaction to what that masterpiece we saw on Sunday? I, I mean, like you were saying, this game goes is every bit as good as some of the greatest frame ones that we've had in first round in the last couple of years. The series that comes to mind is the Clippers and Spurs when CD3's Clippers finally got over the hump and beat the Spurs. Yeah. That series, a matchup of two realistic title contenders in the first round. And I think that's what we have here. I know going into the playoffs, everyone was sort of poo-pooing the Nets uh, given all the drama that they were having about whether they were real, a real threat. And I think, you know, you see this game and you saw two, two grade A teams, inner circle potential title contenders playing each other and going at it at the highest level. This game was everything we would want as an NBA playoff fan. And so my initial reaction was just pure bliss as someone who loves watching basketball and watching a game of the highest quality. My heart was racing almost from the get-go and was continued to race at least an hour after the game. I literally had to walk around and sort of calm myself down. <laughs> how good that series was, how good that game was. So let's talk about specifically the end of the game. Let's start there. So we have a couple of possessions that ended up really swinging this whole thing. It started out with, a, you know, Ime Udoka 
not calling a timeout. And he did this actually on back-to-back plays. And, and the first play was really well designed and wound up getting Jalen Brown almost too easy of a layup. I mean, on the broadcast, Jeff Van Gundy was losing his shit. He's like, how did they let this happen? And then immediately after that, the next play, you have Kyrie Irving probably over-dribbling just a little bit and then giving the ball to Durant maybe just a bit too late. But you got to give credit to Jason Tatum on that play for kind of sticking with them, not letting go of his man. The shot misses. And then again, Udoka does not call a timeout. And the Celtics proceed to go down the court. And you have this amazing, almost impromptu thing that happens where Brown drives, doesn't really have quite the angle. But, you know, a Jalen Brown of a few years ago, I think would have definitely shot that. Maybe even earlier this season, kicks out of Marcus Smart, who we all know would have shot this. Really, any other point in his career, he dribbles in. And then meanwhile, Jason Tatum kind of back cuts uh, Kevin Durant, who's not paying attention, catches the ball, pirouettes around Kyrie Irving, and then makes this shot in. And by the way, I forgot to even mention the fact that before all this, Kyrie Irving hits this seeming dagger and gives the the birds to the to the Boston crowd. So I don't know where you want to pick up there, Vivek, but I just want to get your reactions as this is all going on. I mean, the first reaction is it was just amazing, right? We're so used to as NBA fans watching these plays, but not in rapid sequence like that. It almost happened too fast to process because we're used right. to play, timeout, play, timeout, and this long 15-minute span for 30 seconds of actual gameplay. It reminded me more of those exciting college games where things are bang, 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 and you're, you're, you're seeing things happen in real time. And I don't know why more coaches don't do this, right? Instead of having a set defense, you have, you know, the normal net starters who overall are not great from a defensive perspective, and you get to attack them rather than giving the nets time to switch in some defensive-blinded players and make your your task a lot more difficult. And you saw in both cases, I know you described Jeff Van Gunning going crazy about the quick Jalen Brown layup, but let's be honest, the Nets have not been a great defensive team all season. You know, having Matador layups like that um, right. part of the game, right? Their strategy is to outscore people, and um, it's not going to happen if they have their starters there. They're not going to play a good defensive play. I would say that's not a surprise. That's what's the expected outcome. Yeah, it's a very good point. I think even more than most teams, Brooklyn really has these lineups that are super offensive and, and frankly suck on defense, or they just trade in a lot of shooting for their more defensive personnel. So they're definitely one of those teams. And you saw kind of early in the game too, where Steve Nash was making these offense-defense subs. We see that often at the end of games, but I think wisely Nash was doing that early on. But in this particular situation... Udoka didn't give him the chance to get the right personnel back in. And I think that played a huge role in what ended up transpiring. Let's talk about that Kyrie play for a second. So Kyrie (laughs) hits this shot, tells the Boston crowd, and not for the first time that night, what he feels. At that moment, I got to be honest with you, Vivek, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, like, did I underrate this guy? I mean, I have a lot of respect for Kyrie Irving, what he did in 2016, even 2017, but he's had sort of a spotty playoff history aside from that he's you know he's been injured he's had a terrible run in boston when he hit that shot i was just like oh my god like like this guy probably belongs the top 75 is that is that an overreaction or proper reaction or, or just what do you think i think kyrie irving is properly rated right if you talk to any nba fan or any nba player or coach 
they have immense respect for what Kyrie brings to the table. You know, the, it, when playoff basketball comes to mind, we think about these players who can do what they want on the court, regardless of what the other team is doing, right? That's the most valuable yep. thing that you care about in the playoffs. And we've known that Kyrie is that player forever, right? Even against some of the best perimeter defenders, he can just do whatever he wants on the court. Um, you know, he's playing an amazing Boston defense with against the defensive player of the year, which we know now, and he's just doing whatever he wants. And he did the same thing to Golden State in those Cavs playoffs, right? I remember this one play that sticks in my mind. Kyrie goes one on four against Draymond, um, Clay. Andre Iguodala and one other player in transition and scores pirouettes among all four of them to score the layup. And you're just like, this guy's insane, right? That is a skill that doesn't matter who he's playing. He can get to this level and score, right? And, you know, you compare that to some people like James Harden, right? For example, he's a phenomenal player. And overall for the last 10 years, a much better player than Kyrie. But he doesn't get to that level where he can just do whatever he wants when he gets in that mode. And that's what attracts people to Kyrie. He did it again today, right? Against his, the best defense in the league by a country mile for the last few months. He just did whatever he wanted. Yeah, I think in playoff basketball, one of the most important skills is to be able to make the shot that the defense wants you to take. And Kyrie is one of the best at doing that. The other really important skill is being able to punish the switch. And there's nobody with a better combination of sort of handles, shooting, finishing, at least at the point guard position than Kyrie Irving at those specific things, which makes him, you know, a nightmare to deal with in a playoff series, even when he has deficiencies on, on, on certainly on the other end. Sometimes he, he's his shot selection can be a bit poor, but you kind of like live with that when you have the other stuff he gives you. When I say we properly rated Kyrie, I talked about all the positives. But we are also all aware of all of the negatives that come with Kyrie. Of course, <laughs> and I'm more than aware of that, right? And I think we properly read him from that perspective too, right? Kyrie torpedoed the Nets season. They should not be a seventh seed, right? They should be a three. Yep. They should be in the top four very clearly. If he had just chosen to get vaccinated um, and support his team, James Harden might not have left. They would have been the maybe even the presumptive favorite. But because of Kyrie's faults, the fact that he's unreliable. Um, in a number of different ways, you know, if it was just a vaccine thing and, you know, you want to respect his opinion for that, whatever, that's fine. But he's shown a pattern of repeated behavior where he's just unpredictable and does crazy things. Right. And it torpedoes his team's chances. He did it when he unexpectedly left Cleveland. He did it when he torpedoed two Boston seasons for no reason. Right. It makes me so sad because from an objective perspective, and I can't, I can't pretend to be a smarter person than Kyrie. He's, obviously way more successful than I'll ever be in my entire life. But, you know, if Kyrie had stayed on the Celtics and been a reasonable person, it's the perfect team for him, right? He has amazing defensive players surrounding him. He's got two wings that he can pass to. He's got Marcus Smart cleaning up any of his deficiencies, right? He's got bigs who are more than happy to just pass and catch his lobs and don't care about taking the ball from him. And what the, if I had to pick a fault, even in this amazing Celtics team, it's, they need a one-on-one ISO player at the end of the game. And Tatum is amazing, right? We'll talk to him, we're talking about him. But he is not an ISO player on the level of KD or 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 Kyrie. 
but right now he might be a better player overall. But that one specific skill set of being able to score against anyone at any time is Kyrie's what is perfect for that. So he's almost a perfect player to make that team a dynastic team almost. But he screwed it up because he's Kyrie Irving, right? Well, you know, it's, it, what's interesting is there is a, a counterpoint of sorts with Kyrie Irving. I wonder if he's playing so well. Now, he was excellent in the play-in game as well, and obviously was great in game one, in part because he's rested in a way that no other player in the league really is at this point in the season. Like, he, he's a guy we know can't get through a season. I'm not trying to give him any credit whatsoever for causing this. I'm just saying that that might be a a weird side effect that isn't being accounted for quite enough, that this guy who we don't believe can play, you know, even 60 games in a regular season, much less make four, make it through four rounds of the playoffs, is coming in as fresh as he could possibly come in to a postseason. That's true, but he has sustained this level of before. You know, he, he destroyed Toronto that one year, right? He sustained it for multiple series. Um, so it's not like he hasn't gotten to this level before. I mean, his shooting right now is just, it's it's beyond Steph Curry level, right? Every shot that you see him take is, it's just for now for almost three weeks running, he's been just ridiculous. So maybe not quite this level, but he's gotten close. And you're right, maybe the rest helps. But we know he has it in him if he got his perspective and um, his mental state in the right place, right? So I think I find that's more has been more of an issue for him in the past than um, than you know just the rest. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that Toronto series. What you neglect to mention there is in that playoff run, there were two entire rounds in which Kyrie Irving did not talk to his fellow teammates on the Cleveland Cavaliers for no explicable reason. To this day, if you listen to J.R. Smith or, you know, Channing uh, Fry or Richard Jefferson or Kevin Love, they have no explanation as to what happened to Kyrie Irving for two playoff rounds. He decided he was going to be silent. That's the guy you're talking about. He's the most mercurial superstar I can remember, at least in my lifetime. But the crazy thing is all his teammates still love him. Even the teams that he's left, they still love him, right? Like, yeah. Like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum last year, even though they got destroyed in the playoffs, still love him. They're dapping up. Bro, they... Who's arguably the best player in the league wants to play with this guy. It doesn't make any sense. Bro, they the players elected this man, this loose cannon the vice president of the players union. If there is any other sign that this guy is beloved by his peers, even probably more than he deserves to be there, you have it right there because I couldn't think of anyone. And by the way, in when the bubble thing happened, Kyrie Irving nearly undid that whole thing because he couldn't be there. That's the kind of guy they elected to be the VP of the players union. So he's, he's definitely not the right guy for the job, but he is beloved by his peers for some reason. Yeah. And you know, let's be honest. I'm not a don't trust the media type person, but Maybe we're missing something. We don't know everything about, you know, day-to-day interactions. And these teammates spend hundreds and hundreds of hours with each other. So, I, you know, as a doctor, I'm definitely against his vaccine perspectives. But maybe <laughs> I would hope so. he's got a lot of redeeming qualities that endear him to essentially all the people he works with on a daily basis, right? So, um, anyway, I'm certainly happy he's not on my team. And I'm certainly happy we're beating him right now. So... Well, all right. Well, enough then of the flat earther who abandoned you. And talk to me about the guy who you guys got with the third pick in that draft where the Sixers ended up with Markel Fultz and has now become a bonafide superstar 
And I don't even like to talk a little bit about how high we think this guy is right now in the NBA. Like how is he a top five player is, is a worthy discussion that we should consider having. But let's just start again with that sequence and, and that game winning shot. Yeah. I, I mean, there's two things that are amazing about that sequence, right? One, you know, Jason Tatum in his post game conference said he actually was diving in, not for a pass, but for a rebound. He thought that he, even he thought that Marcus Smart was going to shoot the shot and he was coming in for an offensive rebound. And to be able to adjust to a pass that was slightly behind him, pirouette, get fouled, and still score in a moment that big just shows his absurd skill level, which we've known he's had since he was a rookie. Right? He's just been amazing this whole time. I think the thing that's changed this year in him is his consistency. Right? He's been consistently amazing. He's had a more of an attacking mindset, um, gotten to the rim on a more reliable rate, and Obviously, his defense, right? He, he not only did he have an amazing offensive game, he, he scored, he passed, he was the focus of the offense. He was certainly the focus of anything that the Nets were trying to do defensively. He played absurd level defense against, I mean, I honestly think Katie remains the best player in the game. Um, and he made him look human, right? Not just him, obviously, the entire Celtics defensive effort, but he was the focal point. And that, that was even more impressive than that shot or... Um, his scoring to me. Yeah, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with his defensive, really his effort the whole year, but also just the intelligence and the way in which he applies himself defensively. And you saw that throughout this game. But I actually think the biggest development in his game this season is not even the defense, which he, he showed flashes of at least last season, but it's his passing. And I felt, you know, in the first half, for instance, the amount of times that Jason Tatum just made the right read, and, and it wasn't like the, the Nets were throwing one look at him. They were trying a couple of different things. He would just he just been ahead of the defense. And to me, that's what makes someone a real superstar, especially on the perimeter. Can you make the pass before the defense makes it obvious what's happening, right? Can you like see what's happening and, and, and make that swing pass? He's shown it all year long, and he showed it again yesterday. And it was his passing that kind of cued things in the first half to keep them sort of within touch. I mean, he, he's just demonstrating why an amazing two-way wing is the most valuable player in the league, right? He was by far the best player on the court, even despite Kyrie's heroics, right? He was an amazing defender, an amazing passer, like you said, and that height helps, right? The fact that he can look over the teeth of the defense and get a pass anywhere he wants. Um, and he can score against any player that's, that's against him, even KD, who's an amazing defender. Right. Um, so when you talk about top five in the NBA, um, honestly, I don't think he's there yet. But, uh, you know, Bill Simmons, who obviously is a big Celtics homer, talked about having a top seven, top seven, top five players or 10 top five players. And he's in that tier and that conversation for a player who can win you a title as the best player, essentially. Right. That's what we're talking about. And he's 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 if if he's not there yet, he's certainly close. Yeah, and he's still young. I know we've been saying that about this guy for it seems like his entire career, but he really is the still young. This eighteen joke, right? That we say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, his baby face probably adds to that a little bit, but I mean, he's he's a killer now. Like, I mean, that's all you can say about him. He goes toe to toe with the best players in the league. He guards them one on one when necessary. He passes. He's always been a great scorer. What more could you want from him? Like, I actually think he's one of those guys. Like, if you had a a trade value ranking. There's very few guys that Boston would agree to trade him for in a one-on-one swap. 
I agree. I think the thing I want to see from him more is ISO scoring, right? Not I know he has that Kobe mindset, but the efficiency of ISO scoring. He's had good numbers this year, but you want to see a long track record of that. And though I love Tatum, right? And I think, again, on that court on this day, I'd probably pick him over anyone. And he's very close to KD and certainly better than Kyrie in terms of what player I'd pick in the series. But right. if I had to pick one possession, one shot, I'm definitely picking KD or Kyrie over, over Tatum, right? Um, just given their skill set. And I think getting yeah. Tatum a little bit closer to them will be all the difference in making the Celtics a true title contender. I 100% agree. I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out so that Kate Tatum, I think, now believes he's as good or better as those guys, which is equally important. I, I was going to say, as exactly I was going to say, I, I think he now thinks he's as good as them. And, and they have several years worth, almost a decade more in, in KD's position. So there's a chance for him to grow into that kind of player that he could be. So I, I think that the sky's the limit for him. The question is, can he get there this year? And I think with this team around him and what he showed, I, I really think if Robert Williams comes back, and it looks like all reports are that he may actually be back this series, the Celtics could win the title this year because Jason Tatum is that good. Yeah, I mean, all the numbers have suggested that. They've been blowing teams out of the water for weeks and weeks and months and months. And I think as NBA fandom, the Suns are a great example of this. They had amazing metrics and they were just destroying people for a long, long time last year. And even when they got to the finals, people were still like, oh, you know, maybe they're not on the same level as the Clippers with both Paul George and Kawhi or the Lakers, blah, 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 blah. Now you see this year almost exactly the same team, and you see just how good they are. So there's a little bit of delay in acknowledging when teams are sabermetrically amazing to actually we feel that they're amazing. And the Celtics are certainly there. They've been there for months and months and months. Yeah, they've had the best net rating for quite some time. Basically, it's been a tale of two seasons for them. The first couple of months, they were actually a flat-out disappointment. And then somewhat inexplicably, the whole season turned around. You know, it went from Ime Odoka looking like he was almost throwing his guys under the bus to looking like an absolute genius. And I, and I have nothing but respect for what Odoka has done this year from a defensive scheme standpoint, from just the way he's managed his players. You know, he's called them out and they've actually responded, which is a great sign. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit, Vivek, about some of the role players. So this team is actually... You know, they have a lot of players who have been on the same squad for a while and some guys who have come back to the team. One of those guys that I wanted to highlight was Al Horford, who I thought, you know, in several critical possessions, like we talk about that play where, where, where Durant ended up missing the shot. Al Horford did a lot to contain Kyrie on that play. And it's kind of been like that. He's one of those guys that you don't really think about when you're thinking about the Boston Celtics roster, but he's just like, Johnny on the spot, in the right place, at the right time. And he's so fucking reliable. Like, especially at least when he plays for Boston. I don't know when he plays for Philly or other teams. But when he plays for Boston, he turns into some kind of extremely reliable big man that you can count on, basically. You know, I don't understand what happened to him in the, in the Sixers. I didn't think we should have traded him, right? We, we got Kemba and gave, basically gave him up when I yeah. thought he was a very good player. And, you know, there's just a problem with small guards, right? You see it with multiple teams you see it with Trey Young um, it just it, it it takes away from team unity and team defense when you have one small card it's just such a glaring weakness so I was always against that trade from the beginning or that sort of trade-off from the beginning but then the way Al played in the, with the 76ers I was like oh maybe I'm wrong but this is the Al we, we, we know and love right 
a team player, a great guy in the locker room, someone who can shoot threes at a, at a reliable clip, someone who's a great passer, someone who's a great defender. I don't think he can do it every game anymore, but he still brings plenty to the table. So like you said, when, um, when Time Lord comes back, Al's in his perfect position. He can bring this out every once in a while, win him a game or two in, in part. Um, but when he doesn't have it, he just doesn't need to play as much. Um, and thankfully, when we really need him, he stepped up big. And I, w- I want to talk a little bit about Jalen, too. You know, I know he's not a role player. He's clearly a star. He's an amazing wing. Again, one of the most valuable players in the league just because of the position and style he plays. But we've seen for a long time in the NBA how hard it is to be a second banana, right? You see Paul George struggle at it. You, see, you saw Kobe struggle at it at times when he was under Shaq. You saw, you know, Dwayne Wade struggle at it under LeBron, even when you're amazing. Jalen actually is my favorite player on the team because I think he he's trying to do the hardest thing, be a second banana, still contribute all the time, not have the ball in his hands all the time and be in rhythm, but still step up when he's needed. And yesterday's game was a perfect example of that. I don't think he looked great, especially offensively early on in the game, but he came on toward the end. He played some amazing defense and really momentum-changing plays. And he did everything he the, the team needed him. They didn't need him to be a 30-point scorer yesterday. They needed him to bring score when needed, do some key plays, um, you know, bring his athleticism and his game-changing dynamics every once in a while, and then let Tatum and even Marcus Smart, who was probably the second best player in this game, do his thing. And he did all of those things. Yeah, he's I, I, he's one of my favorite players in the NBA. And, and it actually goes outside of basketball. I love some of the stuff that he's done off the court as well. I mean, yeah, he's I definitely been, he, He's been one of the leaders in the NBA uh, when it comes to social justice. But on the court, it's got to be difficult if you're someone like Jalen Brown. He probably believes that you know he could be the best player on a team. Now, whether he actually can be, it remains to be seen, you know, what the ceiling of such a team would be. But Jason Tatum is the number one option, and Jalen Brown seems to be content with that. There were times in previous seasons, or I would even say this season, if you're talking about like the like the November, December time, where Jalen Brown had a lot of tunnel vision, and if you basically if you pass him the ball, he was gonna try to score, whether it was the right player or not. I think he's kind of laid off of that a little bit and it shows his maturity as a player, but also his willingness to kind of accept this role as the second best guy on a title contender. Yeah. You know, early on in the season when the, when the Celtics were struggling, people weren't like trade Tatum, right? They're all saying trade Jalen Brown, all these Jalen Brown. Yep. It's a lot more stressful for him than Tatum. Right. And you know, when they became an amazing team together, he's the one that took a tiny bit of a step back, like you said. And, you know, I'm honestly okay with him a lot in the regular season, stretching his wings, because he does need to be a little bit of a better playmaker. He does need to, to, to take control of the offense a little bit more, and he's never going to do that unless he gets some reps in. So, you know, I understand, I empathize with him. He should be doing that in the regular season, but he's doing exactly what he needs to do in the playoffs. And I think if you look at their runs in the past, the Celtics have never failed because Jalen Brown had to do too much in the playoffs, right? That's not right. that's never been an issue, right? And he's continuing to show, like, he knows – what he needs to do. He's an amazing player and he's willing to play to give some things up for the team, which is everything you want to see. I have a question for you. If you are looking objectively, is Jalen Brown good enough of a number two to win four playoff series? Like if you look at the historical standards of what a number two option is on championship roster, it, it seems to me that he, he kind of falls short of that. Now, of course there's exceptions, right? There's years where you could argue like Jason Terry was the second best player on championship or Jason Kidd, however you want to say that, old Jason Kidd. Or, I don't know, 
Ben Wallace was, <laughs> you know, like, so there, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, your second best player on a, a true title contender is a bona fide all-star. And I'm not really sure where exactly Jalen Brown is. He's like a fringe all-star to me. And and there are times where because of his skill set and the fact that he's willing to, you know, play defense and, and he can hit a three and he can go on a scoring run, that is just about enough. For instance, I mean, look at an example. Chris Middleton, you could argue that Jalen Brown is better than Chris Middleton. You could argue. I'm not sure if that's true. You could have a debate. But of course, yeah. the number one guy on that team is an all-world player that's even a, a notch or two above Jason Tatum. So given that Jason Tatum is the best player, do you think that Jalen Brown is actually good enough? Because I think that answer will really determine how far this team ends up going. I mean, it's you gave the perfect example, right? I do think Jalen Brown maybe already might be better than Chris Middleton, in my opinion, just because his defense is better, no question, right? He's an all-world right. defender, and Chris Middleton doesn't touch him on that level, right? He's clearly not the same level offensive threat, but he's he's getting there, right? And he certainly has the potential to get better, um, or at least reach the level of Chris Middleton offensively. And if he does that, that's enough to be a good enough second banana. And, you know, if you look at the Suns last year, right, is Jalen as good as a diminished CP3? Probably, right? Mm. Not full-on, full-health CP3 from when he was like 29. Of course not, right? Right. But, 34-year-old CP3? I think so. He's getting, or at least he's close to that level. And the same way the Suns are title contenders because they have two players who, if it was just those two players, CP3 and Booker, and didn't have a great team around them, no one would say that's a title contender, right? Right. In the same way, the Celtics, Tatum and Brown, if they had a bad team around them, they're not going to carry a team to the title similar to LeBron and AD, right? But with a good team around them, they're more in the Suns model, right? where they're exceptional players, but maybe neither of them is the top four best player in the league, all world, KD, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, AD, you know, when he's at his peak, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, he has the potential to get there, right? He, you know, the, the comp that we always hear for Tatum and Brown is is uh, Kawhi and PG, right? That's like their peaks. Yep, yep. Well, and if they get there, yeah, then they could be a one. A Clippers team in Kawhi and PG that have accomplished absolutely nothing but that's a story for another pod Vivek I want to talk a little bit about the Brooklyn Nets side of things so we talked about Kyrie Irving do the Nets have a bit of an Andre Drummond problem he was a minus 13 and I just feel like this is a terrible series for him because he's just kind of plodding and slow and you know for all the good that he's done this season there's a reason that even last year on the Lakers I, I thought that you know, he kind of limits what they could do on, on a given possession because he kind of only can score in certain ways. He doesn't provide any kind of spacing. And defensively, though he, he plays with effort, he, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of not very mobile. He's not scheme versatile. Should they bench this guy? I mean, this is exactly why I didn't... I don't want to go on a huge tangent, but this is why they need Ben Simmons, right? You put Ben Simmons on that too. <laughs> And he plays no, we'll, get, we'll get to Ben Simmons. We'll get to Ben Simmons. Yeah. Let's you talk put, about Drummond, though. You, you put Ben Simmons on that team. He plays 35 minutes. Then Drummond plays the appropriate minutes, and Nick Claxton plays the appropriate minutes. And then you're, your problem is solved, basically, right? You, you cut a few minutes away from from, uh, from Drummond and a few minutes away from Claxton, and then I think that's what you need. Right now, they're in trouble, right? Drummond cannot stay. He's not fast enough to play this incredibly athletic Boston team, right? And Claxton, while athletic enough, 
cannot hit any free throws, and he was for sure going to get hack-a-shacked um, if they play him at crunch time in a key yeah, point in the series. He had 20% in game one, and yeah. that's basically so, par for the course for him. Basically unplayable in crunch time, right? That's what that's going to indicate. I mean, the other option is to put Kevin Durant more at the five, which where I've always found them to be there at their deadliest, but it's also asking a lot of a Kevin Durant. And I don't know how much more of a burden you can put on the guy, given how much else he has to do. Yeah. I mean, that gets me to my worry about this series, right? You know, we talked about that Spurs Clippers series. That was absolutely amazing. But what happened in the next round, right? Even though the Clippers clearly showed they could be title contenders, they were just... They burned out. They burned out, right? So I'm worried that whichever team, you cannot sustain this for so long. So whichever team comes out of this series, they're going to be burnt out by the time they get to play, you know, likely the Bucks. Yeah. I wonder, well, you know what? Let's have the Ben Simmons conversation, right? Because you brought him up. I think it's worth talking about. He is officially cleared to practice. Now, this is one of the weirdest storylines I could ever remember. This man, <laughs> the last time we saw him, was so scared to play playoff basketball that he passed up a wide-open layup. He actually shot the worst free-throw percentage. You talk about unplayable for free-throw reasons. For Nick Claxton, well, Ben Simmons shot the worst free-throw percentage for a playoff run in the history of playoff basketball. Then proceeded to not play a single game for the entirety of the next season for a combination of factors, mostly due to him not just wanting to be booed by the Sixers fans, comes to a team, doesn't play for them either, because he's a back injury, and now they're going to bring this man back in this high stakes of a playoff series with this caliber of basketball as his debut? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. If he comes in and plays for 15 minutes, maybe he could do something. But I, I, was, I can't remember which commentator said this, but... The funniest thing would be if they brought him in and the first thing they did was hack a bread. Just immediately, as soon as he gets, he gets, he plays into the game. <laughs> so from my perspective, you know, listen, I love the Celtics. I, I'm a huge fan. I, I want all the best for Jalen. Like we talked about, he's one of my favorite players. But we're watching this for entertainment, right? You know, right. we're watching these guys who get paid hundreds of millions of dollars for our entertainment. And there's nothing more entertaining in this series or as an NBA fan than watching Ben Simmons come and play. I, I totally agree, man. And What's, what's actually fascinating, and you touched on this a bit before, is they actually could use the best version of Ben Simmons, right? Because one of the problems they have is that Durant has the burden of both guarding their best player, at least spending some time on, on a guy like Jason Tatum, but also having the burden of being their primary rim protector when they go small, plus whatever he has to do offensively. And, and Ben Simmons is the obvious guy to put on Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, wherever you want to put him on, he's an all-world defender, but he brings, even if even if his like, mindset is right and he's ready to go, he brings other issues. Like, figuring out how to play with Ben Simmons is not that obvious. He, You know, the fact that he kind of has to play in the dunker spot as his sort of pseudo-center, but then he's also a point guard, and then he doesn't want to get fouled. It's a lot to deal with in the midst of a playoff series where you already have so many other things to worry about. I mean, but the, the Nets has constructed healthily, right? Forget injuries. Um, with Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, um, who's their who's their shooter who's injured? The the three who's big. You mean Joe Harris? Yeah, Joe Harris, and um, and either Patty Mills or Curry or Bruce Brown, whichever one you probably not Brown because you can't play Brown and Simmons together, right? Maybe you can, 
You have three I mean, all-world otherly shooters and two minus minus shooters, right? That's- I mean, Brown shot 40% this year. I mean, that's the one of the most random developments in strokes of luck for the Nets. That, that's equivalent to Draymond Green shooting 39% that one. Yeah, day. yeah, I feel you. I'm just saying. But so like, the point yeah. is, like, you can make that work. That's a great team, right? Uh, and I'm, and that brings me to, like, how much of a bummer it is that he's injured and Joe Harris is injured. Injuries are just the worst, right? What we want to see is these teams at full strength going at it to see some amazing playoff games. And, you know, if you look at last year, right, sure it was a great playoffs, and it was amazing to see Giannis finally achieve his apex and everything like that. But how much better of a playoffs would have been to see Lakers at full strength, Clippers at full strength, Nuggets with, with everyone on board, yeah. and see those series. So. You know, I just wish we could we could see Ben Simmons come back and be healthy and have had four weeks to kind of acclimate to the team and have this series and have have uh, have Time Lord play for the Celtics and really go at it full strength. But you know, I'll take this. This is an amazing series, regardless. Let's talk about Kevin Durant for a second. I, I thought he had maybe one of the worst playoff games I've ever seen him have. I don't think either of us anticipates that's going to continue for much longer. I'm right there with you. If he's not the best player, then he's only the second best player by like the slimmest of margins behind Giannis. He's one, either one or two, right? So, and it's more like a 1A, 1B thing for me. I have all the respect in the world for Kevin Durant's game. I did think that Boston was very physical with him in a way that like, I don't really remember any team being with Durant, even in his younger days. They they made a point to bump him. It almost reminded me of what Bill Belichick used to do to the teams like the you know the Rams when they had that really high fi offense and he would just kind of bump their their receivers and do all these little things uh, just to kind of throw off the timing. That's not going to stop Kevin Durant, but I just thought it was something to note. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just the physicality though. Even from a skill perspective, I've never seen Kevin Durant get stolen. He's amazing handles, right? Him getting stolen from four times in a row in a quarter, right? It was, it was unbelievable the level of defense yeah. they were playing on him. I mean, they made him look human, like I was saying. They I, did. I know Kyrie went off, but there's no question that the entire defensive effort of the Celtics was focused on Kevin Durant. And this is the one, even though that's the case essentially every day of his entire career, that's probably been true. Well, uh, except the Golden State time where yeah, <laughs> he faced like no double teams, but sure. Fair enough, fair enough. Minus the- Except the time when he actually won a ring. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't even uh, I don't even blame him, right? It wasn't just the physicality; it was just an amazing defense. You know, we've we've seen this happen to Kobe. We've seen this happen to like other amazing players. Like every once in a while, a defense will will win a round, right? And absolutely, like you said, they're not going to win the whole. You know, they're going to win a round. They're not going to win the whole series, right? Not against a player like him. So, then talk to me about the rest of the series because there's a couple ways to look at this. Obviously, whoever wins game one feels very good about just getting away from that game. And, and whoever loses game one probably feels like kind of like shit. But the reality is, you know, you could look at it like, well, Kevin Durant couldn't really play much worse than a 9 for 24 night. But then again, Kyrie Irving played out of his mind, right? And I don't know how sustainable that is, especially given the quality and caliber of the people that the Celtics can employ to defend Kyrie Irving. So it's kind of hard to gauge how this will go forward, but I'm just curious how you sort of handicap the rest of this series. Yeah. You know, I've got to say as a Celtics fan, I'm a little bit worried, right? Kyrie went off. He's not going to go like this every single game. I mean, he's done it pretty consistently now for a few weeks, but I just don't think he's going to sustain this level for the rest of the series, but Kevin Durant will get better. And 
you know, an average Kevin Durant game and a average Kyrie game probably would have resulted in the same outcome, right? A very close, you know, if you average it out, a very close game toward the very end that's won barely by one side or the other, which is what happened here, right? right. So, I mean, it, basically, to me, it's an evenly matched series. And it's just, you know, some things in an evenly matched series come down to luck, a rolled ankle here, and, you know, a slightly bruised knee for either Jalen or, or Tatum or something like that. And that could shift the series decisively in the next favor. So I'm worried as a Celtics fan. I still have them favored. Um, I think they're the younger team, you know, with this level of intensity, Katie and Kyrie are going to get tired over the course of a series. And I think Tatum and Brown and Smart and Co. will hold up a little bit better over time. But it is a lot closer than I thought. I was scared of the Nets, despite what everyone was saying, even before. And, right. and I was proud of the Celtics for for not shying away from the challenge like the Bucks. But I was like, oh, man. Or the Sixers, for that matter. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, man, this is bad. You know, we lost our amazing defensive center. And now we play the Nets. This is almost like the worst case scenario. And, and now I'm even more worried than I was before because it's really close. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that the Celtics are the younger team. Because while that's true, they also have a lot more time playing together they have certain level and, and it just shows on the court with just like the coordination they have and granted they play different styles right like the, the nets are fundamentally an isolation based team and a switching team on defense whereas the celtics have all kinds of scheme versatility on both ends and they can beat you in a lot of ways with the pass they have swarming defense at times honestly in game one it looked like they were like seven people on the court wearing the Celtics colors. I was just stunned by that defensive performance. It's as good of a defensive performance as I've seen, even though the Nets still scored points on them. Just the way that they were swarming, it, it sort of speaks to what Udoka has built, but also the personnel they have and the time they've spent together. And so for those reasons, if I had to predict this, I would say it's probably going to go seven. I'm going to say Celtics in seven, winning it at TD Garden. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be that would certainly be my... Uh... If I, if I was a betting man, that would be my bet, right? Celtics and seven. But a couple of things worry me, right? So, you know, we talked about KD having a better game and Kyrie probably coming down to earth a little bit. But it's the same is true for, for the Celtics, right? I think Tatum, this is probably his average, right? He's been this amazing player this whole season. I think he can sustain it. But he can't sustain right. playing 45 minutes and amazing defense on KD the whole game and that offensive output. I think that's hard. He's not going to be able to do that the whole series. Um, and Marcus Smart was yeah. out of his mind, too. Who so <laughs> can expect that right? again? So yeah, Horford at 20 and right. 15. So, you know, I think they're going to come down to earth a little bit, and then it's a slightly different game. That being said, maybe Derek White could play a little bit better. You know, he had a decent game, but he was sort of passive, which is fine because everyone else is doing great. But he could probably bring a little bit more to the table. But, um, you know, the Celtics have just as much room to come down as Kyrie does because it's hard to imagine them playing better than they did. So let's say the Celtics will end up winning this series. If you had to sort of look way ahead, what's the ultimate outcome? Are you going to be celebrating a Boston championship this year, or do you think that's just too much to overcome? I, you know, you got to play the odds, right? I think they have a chance, but there's a lot of good teams out there. Uh, yeah. I think they can be, for example, again, we, we assume that the Bucks are likely to come out and, and play them in the next round. I think they could beat the Bucks. The Bucks have not looked as good as... as um, we all thought, right? We thought they would, you know, they got the monkey off their back, but is going to be a little bit more chilled out. Um, the whole team is going to have that championship confidence we've often seen from teams who have just won titles. 
but we haven't seen that. They're even struggling a little bit against the Bulls, right? Like this doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, but, you know, obviously Giannis is, is 1A or 1B, as you mentioned, for the best player in the world. Um, and he, he's going to be the best player on the court at all times. But the Celtics can beat them, particularly if we get our, you know, potential defensive player of the year center back in addition to our defensive player of the year guard, right? We match up well against them, but we've matched up well against them in the past. And then, but then you beat them, and then you got to beat a potentially very good Heat team, right? Or you know, a suddenly amazing Philly team, right? Um, I feel like if, if you get past the Bucks, I I would pick the Celtics. I, I think the Celtics or the Bucks are the, are the two best teams in the, in the East anyway. The Suns, so right? yeah, and the Suns the Suns away probably in the finals. I, it, it's hard to, to 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 say that I would feel confident betting on any one team, specifically a team like the Celtics, but. It's an outcome. Them winning the championship, like that, should be their organizational goal this year. Like they're that good, and you know this is rare to have a team this good, this healthy overall. Especially if you get Robert Williams back, it's clicking on all cylinders. That's like really demolished the league in, in by every advanced metric for months. And clearly, there is no like Golden State, you know, with Durant level super team out there that it's like unbeatable. I mean, that was an historical aberration right that was just there for <laughs> yeah. three years and- a sad era in the nba <laughs> which I, league, yeah. i'm happy right. that we're past so i was going to say the celtics organization clearly believes in what you said right because you don't make that Derek white trade unless you think you're a championship contender right because that's that's an overpay he's a great player but we paid more than you know what i think he's worth right but he's he's kind of filling a need and completing the team to, to make it to, to get it over the top. That's how you justify it to yourself when you make that trade. By the way, Brad Stevens has quietly become a really good GM and and I feel like it's not being discussed nearly enough. I mean, the Derek White move ended up being brilliant, getting Horford back ended up being brilliant. Like he's made moves on the margins. Yeah, he got Tice back. I mean, the real moves here were drafting Tatum, drafting Brown. Sure. Know, developing Marcus Smart, right? Like, of course. Yeah, so, like, I guess you could say they're they're Danny Ainge yeah. moves, but yeah. Who's doing terrible in Utah? He's had some bad moves recently. Yeah, he has had some bad moves. <laughs> Utah. Yeah. Every year, I, I want to believe them. Every year, they let me down. But anyway, Vivek, I thank you so much for your time. I'm rooting for your guys. I'm rooting for you to finally experience a championship since you'll never experience one with your original team. Yeah. We were, I think we're going to die before that happens. So uh, all my hope lies in the Celtics. So in 2008, were you officially a Celtics fan at that point? No, that was before your conversion. Uh, I, right? I hadn't moved to Boston yet. So I didn't live literally next to you <laughs> for you know, every, every day of my life. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be really exciting to have this team, man, because you actually watched them grow. It's not like you you came on board this year. You've seen these guys be drafted. You've gone through the struggles. You've gone through them going to the conference finals as kids and losing to LeBron. You've gone through the Kyrie experience. You've gone through them. The full getting, you know, experience, yeah. Yeah, you, you've gone through everything, the highs, the lows, and hopefully now the ultimate reward. Hopefully. We'll see. We can only we'll see. Thanks so much, Vivek. And for all listeners out there, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. Be sure to follow us on social media at Brown Men Won't Jump. And also email us with any questions you might have. If you thought that we were a little too harsh on the Nets or too high on the Celtics, email us at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com. Peace out, guys. All right. Thanks, AC. Be welcome.